so I want to continue in the word this morning. Who, who came here to hear from the word of God? Amen. I certainly came as well. I want you to understand that when I'm preaching the word, I'm preaching for myself as well. It is not just a one-way traffic here, and I, I preach for you, and, and so much so, although I prepare, although I go and I pray during the week, and I, I ask the Lord to put the Scriptures together and to form the thoughts of my heart and my mind, although all of those things happen, when I come here and I preach, I haven't got a little piece of paper that I want to read to you off or something. Yes, we've got the... the uh, the presentations on the board, but you've known that I, I go away from them sometimes because I want to listen. I want to listen to the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is our teacher. I don't want you to look for a, a human teacher, although the Lord blesses men like Paul, like Peter. The Bible is full of them. But they are not here anymore. But all I'm doing, brother and sister, dear friend, is I'm taking the doctrine which they've left for us and I'm, I'm putting word and mouth and thoughts behind that. Who knows what's doctrine? It's a code of belief. What you believe. And that's what we search for and that's what I search for when I come and I preach. I don't want to come here and tell you my thoughts. You'll get bored about it. Because we are different people. You know that we've started, uh, and in fact I was telling Leone the other day, I wanted to preach one sermon about how to live a godly life in an ungodly world. I had it all set out, one sermon, uh, a 20 to 40 minute sermon. And here we are now, and we are down to part four of that particular same topic. And I believe the Lord laid it upon my heart to not go quickly through it. And the point I want to make is we need to listen to the Holy Spirit. And I believe 100% that the, message, the messages that I'm preaching today is timely for our day today. Because the question still remains, how do you live a godly life in an ungodly world? I've determined for you, we all see and we all know that we are living in an ungodly world. It's not a godly world out there. And it is getting worse. I've seen no signs in the world that is getting better. This is why I can't come here and preach to you a revival message. I can't do that because the Bible says that apostasy will take place. That I can preach to you. But if you come here and say, preacher, oh preacher, tell us the good news that this whole world's going to be saved, I will never be able to preach that to you because I will be lying. I will be going against the scriptures. We know that the world is falling apart. Not only that, we've also established that there is an ungodly church. Yes? Now, a lot of people will tell you that, you know, the church needs to go through the tribulation. Yes, there is going to be a church going through the tribulation. It's the ungodly church. But I believe because I preach the Word of God and I've never changed and the Word of God laid it that we will be taken away when the wrath of God... I'm not talking about persecution. I'm talking about the wrath of God. Let it be known that when, when persecution is nothing compared to the wrath of God. Nothing. You talk to people in China who's been persecuted and they become stronger 
under the persecution. Listen, brother and sister, when the wrath of God comes, there's nothing that can become stronger. Nothing against God. Do you want to tell me that when God's wrath is being poured out on the ungodliness of this world, that they will become stronger? They will become boastful and prideful, but God will even deal with that. This is the difference between persecution and the wrath of God. I'm, I'm again off topic here, but let me just lay it on there for you. You need to understand these two concepts for the times we are living in. Persecution will come your way. We are living in Australia where there's social persecution. What is social persecution? Can you go out into your workplace? Can you go out in public? Can you go to the government today and say, I just want to open up my Bible and read it to the whole parliament? What will they do? What will they do? Come on, tell me. Gone with you. We don't want to hear those words in here. That's social persecution. Social persecution leads to death. We see that all over the world. But brother and sister, the church in China is strong, the real church, under persecution. But when the wrath of God comes, there's nothing that will draw strength to become stronger against God. I just thought I'd lay it out there for you. Now, I want to continue in this morning and talk to you about how do I live a godly life in an ungodly world. And last week we touched on the fact that God is holy. I think we don't really understand and know it. I don't think so. And we will only one day understand His holiness when we see Him face to face. Because your body and my body is not able to stand in His midst without the blood of Christ. We need to understand this. There's nothing within us good enough, good enough to stand before a holy God. Nothing. I don't care how long you've been serving God. I don't care how beautiful you say. I don't care if you give all your money away. I don't even care if you give your life for a cause. But there's nothing in you and me that can stand in the midst of a holy God. This is why we need Jesus Christ. Because we come to Him in the name of Jesus. Now I want to talk to you today and continue about how do we become holy. Because remember what we said. That we want to live this godly life. And living a holy life in an unholy world. We want to do that. Do you want to live a holy life? Of course you want to live a holy life. And you know that we said that the word holy here comes from the word hagios. And that means to be pure, to be morally blameless, to be consecrated, that means to be set apart. The word comes from separation or to being cut off. And we realized last week that when we talk about God and His holiness, that God is absolutely pure. Pure. And He is absolutely morally blameless. You will find no shadow in God. He's pure light. We know that that's who we're serving. And we saw that, that that word cut off there means, that holiness means that you are totally and utterly cut off from sin. There is not even a dread of sin that comes into the presence of holiness. And we're going to see that today. And this is important for us to understand that this is whom we're serving. Somebody said to me during the week, but God is love. And the Bible says God is love. 1 John chapter 4, 4, God 
is love. I know that. I understand that. But I said to that person back, that love means nothing without holiness. Nothing. Because I can show you people's love here. I see the devotion of people who's married for 60 years. They love one another, but they can be ungodly people loving one another. This God that we serve, let it be known today that the love that He gives us, the agape, the sacrificial love, is formed, is based on the word holiness. Because love can be corrupted. We know that. But holiness should not and cannot be corrupted. So this is what we're seeking. And then we realize that there's a vast gap between the holiness of God and our holiness. A vast gap. And we saw this when the disciples came to Jesus. They said, teach us to pray. And you know what he said? He said, when you pray, say the following words. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What does the word hallowed mean there? It means hagazio. It's the next step of the word uh, hagios. And that means separated. And let it be known that God's name is separated from any other name on this earth. Jesus, name above all names. God, name above all names. And let it be known that when I say God, when I say God, I go back to Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 when he says, Elohim created. In the beginning was Elohim. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. It is not Allah. I just throw it out there. It's not a one supreme. It is part of the Trinity of God. That's the God that I'm calling about today. And His name is separated from any other name. That's the one whom you are serving. That's the one who gave His Son to you to die on a cross. So we see that this name is separated. And you would remember I left you last week to go home and to look in the mirror, and I hope you did it, and ask yourself and say, am I living a holy life? We can't miss this. Church, brother and sister, you can't make a mistake with this. I'm telling you today, this mistake will cost you eternity. You see, some people come to church by association. You know what I'm talking about? And you hear it so often. You ask somebody, oh, you're a Christian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I go to this church. Have you heard that? I don't care what church you're going to. I want to know if you are part of the body of Christ. Are you born into the body of Christ? And are you sealed by the Holy Spirit? Some people don't even know what I'm talking about, but they proclaim to be Christians. There's only one body. This church's name means nothing. Absolutely. We waste our money on the banners outside to put our church name on the king's way. We waste our money. We are part of the body of Christ. 
And this is why I'm saying this is such a serious message. I want you to understand the seriousness of God when I speak to you. That listen to me, young man, young woman. Listen to me, mom and dad. That this holiness, we need to understand and grab it. Because it will cost you your life for eternity. I'm not talking about this body. I'm not talking about 80 years old or 90 or 100. I'm talking for the rest of eternity. That separation we need to live for the short space of time now will be separated from the ones who will be in the lake of fire for eternity. So I left you with those words and I said, go and look in the mirror and ask yourself that question. If I walk up to you right now and I look you in the eyes and I say, are you living a holy life? Are you really living that holy life? Why did I leave you with that? Because we've got a problem now that we've established God is holy and we are not as holy as God. We've established that. And now we see Peter come out and he says these words in 1 Peter 1.13. He says, therefore preparing your minds for action. Remember last time I said, girding up the loins of your mind. I like the King James. He says, gird up the loins of your mind. It means to prepare your minds for action. What do you mean, Peter? And being sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Who knows that He's going to be revealed to us in person? Amen. Look forward to that. Now He says in verse 14, I want you to look at this verse now. He says, as obedient children. I've had children. I've, I've got three children. Oh, plus two daughters now i've got five children and i've got how many how many grandchildren now four because one is on its way three and you know what i know what the difference is between an obedient and a disobedient child do you know that parents in the place can you say amen now we want our children to be obedient yes or no now Jesus is looking at us and God's looking at us and he says, and Paul writes to this, says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. You see those words? Quickly. About it, and I haven't got it on the board. It's just a scripture verse that, that I'm thinking about this. Because you get so many people, they say, I didn't know, preacher. If I if I'd only knew these things, I was preaching for a man in New Zealand and he came to me and, and I, I think he was in his late 40s and, and he came after one of the sermons and, and I knew the Lord cut his heart because as you know I'm preaching, I'm seeing everyone's faces in this place and you can see where the word of God penetrates and you can see where people are just shut off. I can, I can see it and, and this particular man I could see the word penetrating him and afterwards he came to me and he says, preacher, if I could have only heard what you say today when I was 20 years old. But I was ignorant. I was ignorant. And I open up this verse for him, which I'm going to read to you now. I open up this for him. And I want to read it to you as if you are that man today. Because you can claim ignorance. Go to Acts. In your Bible, if you've got your Bible here, go to the book of Acts. <clears throat> and I want you to open up in Acts chapter 17. Yes. 
Now, what happens in this particular place is, you know, Paul walks through Athens and he sees all of these statues which is to each one of their gods. And as he walks through the place, he comes to a plague and it says there, this is in honor of the unknown God. The unknown God. And he speaks to all of these clever-minded people. And then what does he do? He preaches to them the gospel. He proclaims the gospel of Christ. And you know what I've said there? He says, do not be conformed. Do not be conformed and go back to the passions from your former ignorance. Because somebody can surely say like this man said to me. He said, if only, but I was so ignorant. And then Paul preaches to them the gospel. I want you to look now at John uh, and Acts, sorry, 17 verse. <clears throat> I'm going to read from verse 28. He says, for in him we live. And move and have, have our being, as also some of your own people have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something uh, shaped in the art and man's devising. He says to them, all of these statues that you see here, don't think that they mean anything. It's a waste of money. You look at this beautiful statue of Zeus, and you look at Zeus, and every time when you walk past Zeus, you behold the, the beautiful, magna, it's so magnificent. You look at it and you say, wow, this is beautiful artwork. Not only that, you worship the God that it represents, and you walk further on, and you see this beautiful silver statue of Mercury, and you go, wow, that's a beautiful statue of Mercury, the God that I serve. And then you work, walk further on and you see all of these ones, you know, all of their gods. And Paul says to them, that's nothing divine in that. Nothing. Here is something I just want to throw in there. And then they make one which is not even beautiful or splendor to the unknown God. Because they knew. For some people, even in churches, he's still the unknown God. But here is the alarming fact. That that God was for them just one of their gods. He wasn't the God. Because let it be known that you can build nothing on the earth that will represent the glorious holiness of God. And he says this to them. In verse 30. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked. I'll give it to you. This is what I said to that man. I said to him, don't worry. You are sitting here today. You've heard the message. It's penetrating you. God is calling you to a decision. And, and let it be known, all these years that you were ignorant about it, God overlooked it. How wonderful is the grace of God. Can you say amen? amen. All those years, all those naughty, sinful things that you've done, all of those, God overlooked. And here is the other fact about it. Be thankful for God that you didn't die in your ignorance. That you are still alive to be able to hear the ignorance being addressed. He says, God overlooked that. Now he says, but, what does the word but mean? Sharp contracts. That's a big theological word, isn't it? <laughs> but. I like the word but. He says but. Now. Everybody say now. now. 
What does the word now mean? Is it present or past tense? Present. Is it an action word or not? It's an action word. It says, now something is happening. It says, but now commands. What is a command? It's an order from God. It's a dictation from God. It says, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. That's what I said to that man that one day in New Zealand. I said to him, look, coming to me and saying the message is, uh, you know, you, this is a great message. I'm just praying, Lord, not to pride my heart that people say you pray. No, no. I want you to understand one thing. Sir, madam, I want you to understand that God overlooked your ignorance and thank Him for that. But now, God commands you to repent. There is no more excuse for you a day or two, a week, a month, a year from here. Because now the line is drawn in the sand. He says, but now all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world and in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. You see how deep is the word of God, brother and sister? I, just that word there got me going again. That word ignorance there. Now we've got a problem. I'm coming back to the problem. And that is with this verse, what he says next here, Peter. He says, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. What does the word conduct mean? It means your actions. He says in all your actions, you need to be holy. Not only at church, not only when your brothers and sisters of church visit you you, you, you then bring out the nice language. No, in all your conduct, it's at your workplace, your play place, wherever you go, you need to be holy. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You see, you need to be holy to live a godly life. There's no way about it. You need to be holy to be able to live a godly life. Is God holy? Is He living a godly life? He is godly. So you and I, you see that means we need to be separated. Are you separated? What separates Him? His pureness. His immorality. He's, not, he's moral. Not His immorality, His morality. He's moral. And these things. Now the question is then, how do we become holy? How do we become holy? I've got a few scriptures for you. Holiness starts with being born again. That's where it starts. You can't sit here this morning and not be born again from above and claim to live a holy life. You can't. You just can't. It's, it's not working. In John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus and said to him, Moses, surely I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I want you to understand. I want you to see what John is writing here. How many times have you read this verse? Have you stopped and thought about it? John says to this man, Nicodemus, he says, Nicodemus, I'm telling you assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Where is God living? In his kingdom. Is God holy? Yes. 
Now, He gives the key here for you and for me. If you want to go to the kingdom of God, if you want to see God in His holiness, if you want to live in the holiness of God, you must be born again. You must. Let it be known that God will not allow unholiness in heaven. I... I, I I want to say it again. God will not allow unholiness in heaven. You say, but preacher, I am, you know, I do all of these nice things. Means nothing. If your heart is not cut and circumcised by the blood of Christ. <laughs> Go with me. Let, let me show you something here which is really important. Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. I want to show you this, and, and you will understand this. And once you understand this, this verse will become so much more powerful than just be reading it and a conversation with Nicodemus. Uh, Genesis chapter 3. Uh, we know that what's happened here. Adam has sinned. He listened to Eve. He took off the fruit he shouldn't have taken. And then God came in, and when they heard his voice, they were hiding from him. Why? Because they've sinned. And then God speaks with them there in chapter 3, and he gives them, he, he actually curses the snake, but he gives them a penalty, and the penalty is death. Now we know now at this point in time that these two people became unholy. But where were they? In a holy place. What was the holy place? It was the Garden of Eden. What was in the Garden of Eden? The tree of life. Now, if Adam has walked over to life and touched the tree of life, what would have happened? He would have lived forever. And I want you to see this now. I pray to God that you will see this now. Look at verse 22. Uh, Genesis chapter 3 verse 20 and Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all things and also for Adam and his wife the Lord God made tunics of skin you see there's the blood sacrifice and clothed them and now in verse 22 then the Lord God said behold the man has become like one of us because now they know between good and evil and if you know evil, you want to be good. That's your natural transgression. Although the body brings you down, you, you go worse. And now, lest he put his hand out and he take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. What will happen? Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden, out of his holiness, out of the fellowship of God, to till the ground from which he was taken. Now listen. So he drove out the man and he placed a cherubim. Who's a cherubim? It's an angel. A cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword. What does fire represent in the Bible? Judgment. A flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. So if you sit here this morning and you say to me, preacher, God, you know, I can continue with my life. I can do what I do because I serve a loving God. And you know what? God is merciful. God is gracious. And he's going to look at me one day and he's going to say, you know what? I love you so much. You've been a naughty boy on the, on the earth, but I'm going to let you through. You are but kidding yourself. I've had an uncle. 
when I was younger and I was just starting to, to preach and be, becoming a pastor, you know, studying the scriptures, my uncle came to me and he said to me, he said to me, oh, I found something in the Bible which means that we're only going to be in hell for a short space of time and then we're going to go and be in heaven with God forever. And I had to say to my own blood family, you are but kidding yourself. You've been deceived. Somebody lied to you and you've eaten the lie. Let it be known that with God where He is, is holiness. And He's not going to allow. On whose name? You study so long and you become a professor in theology? What does that mean? It means nothing. It means nothing. And this is it. We need to understand. Now, He says it right there. He says, most assuredly, this is Jesus' words. I say to you, I've given you the backing of that in Genesis. What God did to the one whom He's created. He created Adam and Eve. Both of them, He put them out of the Garden of Eden. And then He says, unless one is born again, He cannot see the kingdom of heaven. You can't. The kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? You know, he's like us trying to throw, uh, you know, a practical sense into Jesus. says, Moses, surely I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. He's talking about a spiritual birth. John chapter 1 verse 11, He came to His own Jesus and His own did not receive Him. But as many as received Him. But as many as received Him. What happened? To them He gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. But of God. Oh, preacher, I gave my heart to the Lord when I was 20 years old. No, you didn't. Do you want to tell me that you decided when you were going to be born? We're all sitting here, we were naturally born, weren't we? I was born on the 26th of August. Did I have any say in that? When I'm a mother's woman, I somehow gave her a message, you know, while I was in the womb and said to her, Mom, I really want to be born on the 26th of August. That's a really great day. Did I? Could I? You, you, know, you know why I want to say this? And, and I think it's important to know this. If you are sitting here and by any chance you are not born again, you need to hear this. I say this because I hear a lot of, and I've, I've ministered to young people. I'm talking about young people who are still not giving their hearts to the Lord. And you know what they say to me? They say, preacher, you know, I've still got my whole life in front of me. I still want to have fun. Come on. And then when the fun is finished, then I will come to the Lord and give my heart to them. Your heart doesn't even belong to you to give. Your heart belongs to God. Whether you're a sinner or saved, it belongs to Him. And the only thing He does is He approaches you through His Holy Spirit. When you sit in a sermon and you feel that the Word of God is talking to you, He's approaching you and He wants a reaction from you to denounce your sin. That's how it happens. This is not the will of man and the will of flesh. 
You're not going to give your heart to the Lord. He comes to you and He saves you. When you cry out to Him, the Bible says if, if those who near God, He will near them. He will come to them. You see, it is God's sovereign gift to man, not man's achievement. Not man's achievement. It's a gift of God. Now, I've, I've decided again, I'm just going to give you one more scripture. Because I don't want to labor the fact. I've got so much more, but I, wanted, I want you to understand this morning. I want you to ask yourself the question and, and pray and say, Lord, am I born again? Am I saved? Am I saved? Because, you know, you want to live a holy life in an unholy world. You, you can't be holy if you, if you don't live a holy life. And, and the first step to holiness is being born again. There's nothing. I, look, I can stop you today. There's so many things I'm going to touch about living a, a, the characteristics of a holy life. But if we haven't got the basis right, then I'm just, you know, wasting your time. Let me just give you one more example of this, this free gift. Now, if, if I go over to Glenn and I say, hey, Glenn, you know, this little thing here, I know you want it really desperately because I've heard over the time that you talk so much about a pointer. I don't know. You're not never going to use it maybe to talk, but you can point to things and it's a cool toy to play with. And maybe all your life you've been into this thing and I come to you and, it, and it's costing a really expensive uh, price. Okay, I say, look, this thing is worth $120,000. Okay, for you and for me, we would say that's ridiculous, but for Glenn, you know, he goes, mate, I want that. Money is not the issue. I haven't got it now, but I'm, I'm saving up to that thing. I want to get that thing. You know, $120,000 pointer, and you can point all over the place. But what if one day I come to him and I say, Glenn, oh no, this is a brand new packed one. Here you go. Take it. It's yours. It's a gift. And he, and, he, and he goes, and he goes, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. And he goes, and there's a $5 note coming out of his pocket. And he says, take this $5 for it. And the moment I take that money, is that a gift? No, he devalued the, the value of the product, but he still paid for it. You see, this is what I see sometimes, that people devalue Christ. For, for the smallest common denominator. We devalue Him. He doesn't need to be devalued. He comes to us with all of His fullness. He comes to us with all of His richness. He comes with us with all of His life, with all of His holiness. You don't have to pick out something and devalue Him, degrade Him, bring Him down to you. He comes to you and He says to you, here is a gift for you. Do you get where I'm going with this? All of that, He comes to you. And He gives it to you. Uh, we find it with this lady at the well. Remember John chapter 4. I've meditated the last two weeks on this passage. Uh, it wasn't part of the message. But then, you know, just when I prepared of it, this came up. You, you know, when Jesus goes into Samaria, and there's a whole passage around Samar Samarians, where they were half-breeds, they believed in the day with Jews, the people who came in, the, the king sent in um, um, pagans in, in amongst the Jews, trying to get the bloodline, and some of them married, and this is why the Jews despite the Samarians, but still Jesus goes through Samaria, and he comes to this well, and there's, there's this well of Jacob, a very important name in the Bible, and he comes there, and these disciples goes into the city and Jesus sits down there at the well and this lady comes at an hour which is not been known to an hour that ladies come 
to the water. She comes in an hour out of the norm. And there she finds Jesus. Let it be known that God doesn't work according to your plans and your actions. He will sometimes come out of the norm, out of the little box that you try to put him in. And while he's there, she, she comes and she drops down a bucket and Jesus says to her, please give me some water. He's thirsty. And she in that moment goes, he's a Jew. I'm a Sumerian. She goes, how can you ask me this? He's unbefitting. And, and I love it when Jesus talks to her because this, is, this for me is the whole, the whole concept of being born again. Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God, do you know the gift of God this morning, my friend? Do you understand what I just said? That God will come down in the form of Jesus Christ with the fullness of God and He comes down to you. Who and how privileged are you that God will choose you to come down to you? You don't have to write a test. You don't have to exercise to be the strongest. You don't have to run the fastest. You don't have to play the music instrument the best. You don't have to be anything of that. God in His infinite glory look at you and He comes down to you with all of that. Like this lady. And he asked her just one thing. If you knew the gift of God. Do you know the gift of God this morning? And again friend. I'm not talking about wishy-washy things. What we try to drum up and emotionally charge people. Because if he comes to you. You don't need to emotionally charge. You will be cut to the heart. Your emotions won't be what they dish up today. You will cry and sob in your agony of the sin that you portray before this holy God. Let it be known, this lady comes, and I'm going to show this to you. Unfortunately, I haven't got the whole passage, but I'm going to talk you through this quickly. Now she stands there and he says, Do you, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, who was it who said it to her? Jesus, give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. What is the living water? It is the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit. And she doesn't get it like we don't. Because these she then goes in and say, but this is the well of Jacob and all of these things. And then she starts to throw in some kind of religion. And you know what Jesus do? And then she says to him, please, Lord, give me this living water that I thirst no more. And you know what Jesus do? I want you to listen now. Jesus said to her, go call your husband. Now, I've read it so many times over and I thought, Lord, this lady is white. She wants living water. And you know what some people do? Come up here and let's pray a five-minute prayer for you and you'll be saved. Is that what Jesus did? No, no, no. No, I want you to understand one thing. Here is the glory of God in front of this lady. And she's got one problem that you and I've got. She is not holy. You and I am not holy. And the one thing that he's going to show her now is the severity of her sin. 
Because you can't come to God. You can't be saved and born again if you don't understand your sinful nature. And he comes to her and she says, give me this water. And he says, go call your husband. And you know what she says? She says, I've got no husband. And Jesus said to her the following words. He says, you're right. Because you've had five husbands and the one you've got now is not even your husband. What is Jesus trying to say here? He says to this lady, you are fornicating. It's a sin. And if you want the gift of God, you need to understand what you're walking from to receive the gift of God. You're walking from this sinful nature into a holy nature. Friends, I've prayed this week. I said, Lord, the world don't want to hear this anymore. I said, Lord, I'm preaching it to people in our church. Now, my heart's belief and my heart's desire is that every single person in this world today is saved. But I can't say that because I'm not God. But I, I prayed this week. I said to the Lord every morning, I said, Lord, this is it, Lord. I'm going to preach about being born again. And normally when you preach about it, people's shutters go down. They don't want to hear it. But we must. Friends, I want you to understand something. That when we go to glory, and I look around in glory, I want to see your face there. Do you hear my heart this morning? I want to see my children's faces there. I pray for my children. I want to see them there. But I can't do anything for them but pray. Listen to me this morning. I prayed this week. I mentioned your name, each one in this place, even our new people. I mentioned each of your children before the Lord. Not trying to tell you how good I am, because I want to tell you one thing today. If we're in glory, I want you to, to come. We're not, not going to have a banner there. Oh, Kings, wake Adam Downs. I've been preaching this word for 25 years. I've never felt the urgency on my heart like this last three weeks to preach the holiness of God. Never, never. I might not live until next week or three or five weeks. That doesn't matter. The matter is here today. Before you go out of these doors, make this now. Say, Lord... Show me my sin. Because your sin, how good or nice you are, is going to keep you out of heaven. I've showed it to you today. Now I want to apologize that if I'm getting loud. I do want to apologize. I pray and I say, Lord, keep my emotions intact. But I do care for you. And I want you to care for each other. You see, Peter preached the gospel, and I'll touch on it next week, because I think we're going to talk. I want you to go away again this week. I want you again to go and have some time with the Lord and say, Father, speak, speak to me. The Friends, let it, you, you tell it to me. You see the world. It's going to get tougher. I'm not trying to preach a doom and gloom. We've got young children. I've got grandchildren. I want to see those grandchildren growing up and have families of their own. But I've, I haven't got the keys of the future. Have you? 
I know the Lord's coming. I know it. I preach it. I proclaim it. I believe in the rapture. You know what my prayer is? My prayer is these days, Lord, wait. Please wait. Terry, one more day. You say, preacher, do you want to say you want to keep God? Yes, because if He comes today, if the Lord comes today, how many of your family members will go with you to God? Then you would say, Lord, just one more day that I could have said to them about you. You know, I find it absolutely, listen to me, this is only me, it doesn't have to be you. I find it selfish when people say, I can't wait for the Lord to come, I can't wait for Him to come. I, I wait for Him to come as well, but I say, Lord, give me one more week to preach your gospel. Maybe one more person will understand the sin and came to full salvation that one more will go. I don't know. I just know if I look around us, and maybe it's because I'm getting older, but then I'm talking to older people than me, they haven't seen anything like we see in the world right now. Have you? So why isn't that even an indication to become serious with God? Why isn't that even an indication? I'll tell you today, the time will come where you will have to stand in front of people and denounce the world for Christ. Will you be able to do it? You see, Jesus said to this lady, I knew the gift of, uh, I've got the gift of God, if you knew the gift of God. He who says to you, give me a drink, you will ask him and, and he will give you living water. Now, that's so fantastic. You can only get the Holy Spirit living water after you are born again. And the Holy Spirit is the one who helps you to live this holy life. That's a different message. I want to skip on to, I said there's one verse, but I want to skip on to a, a verse, and I'll come back to these other verses, but I, I want to just finish on this verse, because I think this is important. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18. Isaiah, we know he's a prophet of God, and he, he writes to these people and he says to them, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Through, though your sins are like scarlet, it means though you're living an unholy life now, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, that means an unholy life, they shall be white as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. You see, although these sins are like that, you remember when I spoke about ignorance and I took you into the book of Acts? Although it's like that, for some people it's still ignorance. He comes to them and he says to them, now is the time. Now, today. What's the day today? It's the time. For some people, it's the first time that the Word of God will break through their hearts. He says, if you are willing and obedient, what will happen? You will eat the good of the land. It is your choice to live a godly life. It is your choice. Godly life is no longer to seek the satisfaction of a sinful life, but to live under the will of God. Have we learned something today? I believe you've had these scriptures before, as I've read them before. I said, Lord, I've preached over these same scriptures so many years and so many times. But I say what I say to you, and I want you to pray with me. Pray like never before.
like never before. And I pray in my, you say, preacher, you're really, really direct today. You, you really speak direct today. Yes, I need to be direct. I say, preacher, you, you preach fear into my heart, fear of this holy God. Yes, that's the plan. Because if you understand the holiness of God and the severity of this whole situation we're in, your life but will change. 100%. So I finish today by saying to you, if you want to live a holy life, you need to be born again. Now, if you've been cut to the heart today and you want to you discuss it even further, my door is always open. Let's talk a bit through. But what you're going to hear from me is we're going to talk about your sin before we come to the glory of the gift. Because you need to understand the severity of sin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning, Lord, for your, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that these today didn't have to be my little stories, Lord, or trying to impress people. And Father, if at any stage, Lord, in my demeanor this morning, that I went over and above what you wanted me to do, Father, I repent of that. Father, I come to you, Lord, because I'm serious as you're a serious God. People want to hear about the joy and the nice and the funny things, Lord, but there is a seriousness. And this morning we thank you for that, Lord. Father, I pray as you cut the heart through your word, because your word, Lord, is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. It cuts between bone and marrow, spirit and soul, and it is the discerner of the heart. And I pray this morning, if your word is cut between the heart and the discerning of the heart, Lord, I pray this morning, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will do the perfect work and call people to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.